Hey listeners, thank you so much for putting up with a little bit of delay in getting this full episode out. I do want to tip you off that at the very end of this episode, there's a special surprise. This particular guest was so interesting. She, like several others, had had a story of how she came to deepen her Jewish identity and her religious practice. And she surprised me at the end by asking if I knew a particular person who she had personally never met, but who had been in her mind her last 30 years from the time when she was attending Bowdoin College and really had very little Jewish knowledge or practice. And her non-Jewish roommate from her Quaker high school was attending Barnard College and her friend's roommate was herself becoming religious and hearing all of the wonderful stories about how warm and sweet and fun this person was and all of the commitments she had and how she practiced Judaism and studied and kept Shabbat inspired our guest to undertake her own journey of discovery and Aliyah. So it was a really interesting thing that came up at the end. And as it turns out, I do know this person very, very well. So you should listen to the end of the podcast because then you'll get to hear the whole story and how it came out uh, in our conversation. Shalom and welcome to another episode of Mamish, the oi and joy of family. I'm your host, Lori Fine, here to bring you laughs, stories, and a little walk away wisdom for fellow travelers in this wild parenting ride where our community and our traditions are our greatest guide. I am super excited to be here today with Hannah Jenny Weisberg, who is the creator of the incredible blog jewishmom.com. So the best thing about this podcast is finding incredible people like you who are putting it out there how much you love having a large family. Welcome to the program. Yeah, thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Oh, I'm so excited to have you. So tell me a little bit about your family in general and then why you chose to start this blog so long ago. Did you grow up in a large family? So I grew up in a family where three kids. I'm the middle. I have an older brother and a younger sister. And I grew up in a in a conservative Jewish family. And so growing up, that was normal to have, you know, two or three kids. My father told me, he said he said that he had hoped to have six kids, which is a very unusual thing. That would have been completely, completely unique in the society society that I grew up in. In the United States? Yeah, I grew up in Baltimore. I grew up in a so conservative Jewish family. Both of my parents, my father's now retired and my mom passed away. My parents were physicians. My mom was a psychiatrist. My dad was a radiologist turned cancer researcher. And so growing up, like that was having, having that type of family for three kids. That was the normal thing. I grew up going not to a Jewish school. 
I, I attended actually a Quaker school. Quaker is a kind of Christianity, but actually a lot of Jewish, a lot of Jewish kids go there. So my class was probably about maybe five or 10% Jewish. Okay. So when I was in college, I started becoming more religious and I ended up becoming Orthodox. And right after I graduated, I, I attended Bowdoin College in Maine, which is not a bustling uh, Jewish community. I mean, there is a Bowdoin student organization, but at least back then, this, it wasn't such a happening thing. And so right after I graduated college, I came to Pardes. It's a pluralistic place to learn about for people like me who didn't really have really a formal Jewish education. I wanted to learn more about it. And when I was there, then I met my husband, who comes from a somewhat similar background to me, also became religious later in life. Um, and so we went out for two years. We got married when, when I was 24 and he was 25. And initially people say to me, did you know that you would have such a large family? I think it was like an idea that I had. Initially I was resistant. The first year that we got married, I really was very reluctant to become a mother at all. I, I was very busy and I was volunteering here and studying Hebrew there. And I went to Hebrew University to get a master's in nonprofit management. And so I was doing all these things and I thought, you know, I don't really have time to have kids. I don't have time to become a mother, but I got pregnant after I'd been married for a year. And so the idea with eight kids, I think that we were kind of like a community in central Jerusalem called in a neighborhood called Nachlaot. And it really, it was normal. All the moms like me, we were all having big families. Like this one had eight, this one had nine, this one had six, this one had 10. There's a family that's very close to us. This Israeli family that kind of adopted us. People that we really, really admire. And they have eight kids. For us, that was like the number. Like we thought, I remember at the bris, at like the circumcision of my youngest, I told this woman, the mother of this family, I, I suggest just you should know that we have eight kids because of you. Oh my she gosh. It's <laughs> a lot of pressure. <laughs> no, I, I told her, I, I said, because in our mind, a real family, family, like the kind of family that we want, has eight kids. Oh. This is a compliment to her. That's so funny. I don't know if you grew up at the time when that show, Eight is Enough, was on TV. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, in Sacramento, right. I mean, um, maybe I should look at it again. I haven't watched it since I was like 11. So, yes. <laughs> so, so you have eight children. How many sons and daughters? And so we have five girls and we have three boys. And are they all single births? Yeah. So you had to go through the whole pregnancy eight times. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Do you have any, any you're, you're all single births? So do you I'm all sons? single. I'm all single. Yeah. All five are okay. all their own person entirely. No sharing of right. no sharing of space until they got to our house and had to share a bedroom. But <laughs> wow, right. own, they had their own room for the first nine months, you know. Okay, so let's see. How old is your oldest and youngest? And um, so my oldest is twenty-five. Okay. And then my youngest is eight. Okay, so that's quite a long range. A lot of people ha seem to have them close together. So that's like spread out over a, a good a good chunk of your life. Yeah, and I'll tell there's a, there's a sweet story that like, I think when I was maybe 45, I had to go and get my first clinical breast exam. Okay. And I went to a surgeon and a woman who, who examined me, she said, well, did you nurse any of your children? I said, yes, I nursed all of my children for around a year and a half, each of my kids. 
And she said, how many kids do you have? I said, eight. She said, wait a second. And this is like a female breast surgeon. Like this is like a really accomplished lady. And she said, what? You spent 12 years of your life nursing? She said, I'm taking off my hat to you. Aww. She said, I'm, she said, I'm in awe. And I could see that she was really moved by this idea that I had given whatever, just nurse baby for 12 years. That is a serious accomplishment. And, you know, I think it's very beautiful that part of the reason to do this podcast is to appreciate all the different ways that people are approaching being a parent and being a mom in particular. And, you know, the sacrifices that we make to our kids, on the one hand, they are sacrifices and they should be recognized that we are giving of ourselves to bring up the next generation. And on the other hand, they also are rewarding in their own way. And that's, I think, one of the things about parenting that is so meaningful to me is that it's a back and forth. Everything you give, you also get back, I feel. So good for you. So, okay. So obviously you're hands-on mom, if you were spending all that time nursing. Tell me a little about your family dynamic. What kind of household are you like organized family? Do both parents work? Does either parent work? You know, tell me a little bit about your, your home life. So until, until about a year ago, I was, just, I, I'm still a stay-at-home mom, but I'm actually now I'm working. So for about 24 years or so. I was a stay-at-home mom. I still am. I didn't have any kind of paying job. I'm not an especially organized person, but I think that my superpower is that I'm very, very determined and consistent, meaning that if I set a goal for myself, I mean, I guess you can see it through jewishmom.com, but I've been, I've been blogging or writing every single weekday for the past 23 years. Wow. Um, and I, yeah, and like basically let's say 99% of the time, I've showed up at my, at my computer and posted something or written something or sent something out. And so my superpower is that. So what I lack in organization, I make up for in terms of just showing up and being reliable, being responsible. I think some people might say that doing something every single day for 15 years is pretty organized and uh, maybe you're not giving yourself the credit that you deserve. Yeah. So quite organized, but you wouldn't come into my house and find the house is spotless and a better home than gardens. Like, it's not like that. And my kids don't look like the mothers who dress their kids all in like matching outfits. And I actually just heard a crazy story. Like a mother had it in her divorce agreement that the husband, when he had custody, when he had visitation, that he would dress up the kids in matching outfits. So like, I'm, I guess you see the opposite of that. (laughs) That's crazy. (laughs) I mean, that's amazing that she like, it was so important to her to put it into her divorce agreement, but I guess maybe there's a cultural norm that she wanted to follow or something. Right. It might be that in certain certain communities, that's the norm. So I'm very determined. I set goals for myself and I'm always like learning. And I've taken like a bunch of parenting classes and I'm always learning different things about personal development. I'm always working on myself to be a better person and to upgrade myself. Like, for example, I have an issue that when I was growing up, we would sit every night and have dinner together, but we would just kind of get our own, like one person would, would make a grilled cheese sandwich in the microwave. I would usually have like a bowl of corn, a bowl, a bowl of Rice Krispies. It was that kind of dinner. And we had a great time, but it wasn't really like a family culture around food. Okay. Around, around consuming food and kind of like a 
okay, moms sort picked out the pot roast and put it on the table and everyone, you know, I don't know, whatever. It sounds great. And then, you know, everyone. I mean, we can't all be Norman oh. Rockwell, you know. Exactly, exactly. So, so, so now I have a reminder every day on my phone. So on my Google calendar, I have like various reminders. And my reminder is every morning that my goal is to have food ready when my kids come home from school. And it doesn't have to be something huge. Today, like I just made sure to have pasta and I peel and I like slice some kiwis. And that is a struggle for me. And I've been a mom for 25 years. And still every day I find a reason why, oh no, 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 today it's too crazy. And today I can't, I can't have food ready when the kids are home, <laughs> when the kids come home. <laughs> but so, so I'm, you know, I'm 51 years old and I've been a mom for 25 years. And I'm still working on this, but I am working on it. Okay. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so funny i i think that you bring up food is obviously like a huge topic in parenting because it's one of those things that you have to do every single day and i know that for myself i realized during covid how much i was relying on sort of the rest of the world to feed my kids you know the school lunch or they grabbed a bagel or what have you and then when we were all home suddenly i was responsible for every single bite that they ate. And it, it became a lot actually. And I love cooking right. and I think I cook a lot. You know, some people, I mean, I certainly don't cook every day. I would say I cook two to three times a week, but cook multiple things on those days when I do cook or cook something nice on those days when I do. But when my kids were little, I was always looking for some shortcut way I mean, I discovered at some point that you could take like a frozen package of almost anything and stick it in the crock pot in the morning with like a sliced onion and a couple spices <laughs> and, you know, voila. I just remember now it's like coming back to me that we had like Tuesday. I don't even, I think it was my kids all had like after school activities. I wasn't even working. It wasn't that I didn't have free time theoretically, but I would drive the kids in the morning and never end up coming back home until after their activities in the evening. And that was my, so that was my crockpot day. I would just like dump something in there in the morning and we'd come home. It's like, Ooh, I forgot I did that. It smells good in here. What is it? Is it good? And you know, the, wow. you find these tricks. So maybe you'll pick that one up. Yeah, pot, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, I had it. Everybody has one. Nice. So, so You've had 15 years of blogging about being a Jewish mom and you're religious, so it's an all-encompassing lifestyle for you. But if there is some message to the momish listeners about what might be either unique to Judaism or helpful about Judaism when it comes to raising your family and setting your priorities with your kids, is there anything that specially comes to mind? So first of all, I think that being an Orthodox mother comes with its difficulties that other people don't face. We have a lot more obligations on us. We have weekly Shabbat, rain or shine, and that means weekly, it's kind of a low-key Thanksgiving every week. Something that another mom is doing every, is doing once or twice a year, we're doing every single week. But at the same time, I think that being Orthodox, like an Orthodox Jew, it gives you so much inspiration. I feel like it balances out. So I feel like in my life, the fact that I have eight kids does make my life more challenging than if I had 2.2 children or whatever is now the 
average birth rate for Western society. But at the same time, I get so much inspiration. And I think that one of like the main messages that I find particularly inspiring is just that is that I, in my life, that I'm taking always my next step to, to take my next step in serving God, my next step in my way of doing a good thing. Just recently, I had a beautiful encounter. I met this mom. She's the mother of 10 children. And her youngest now is six. So she had spent, she had spent 25 years at home with her kids. She said, for all those years, I was very busy with the home, making and taking care of the food and the house and the kids. And now I work in a nonprofit organization as a caseworker for cancer patients. I met her because we, because we went to a, we traveled to a wedding together. When we were traveling, she's all the time speaking on the phone with all the cancer, with the cancer patients and giving them advice. And then her kids are calling and this one needs this and this one needs this. I felt just like the beauty of it, of just having that clarity. For 25 years, she was doing what she needed to, to in her eyes, serve God and to do something good. And for many years, that was the home. And now she gets home maybe at five o'clock every day and to be there when her kids are, like to be with her kids. I just love like the, the clarity of saying, okay, what's the next thing that God wants for me? Beautiful. So in other words, there's a time, there's a season and you you can do many things over the course of your life and that Judaism allows you to have that clarity of knowing that you have a purpose in all of it. Right, and I got a master's, as I said, in nonprofit management. I never used it, never used it at all. It looks to me like you're managing quite a crew. You've got exactly, eight employees exactly. at least. <laughs> exactly. But I just want to say my husband for many years, for like 25 years, he was a full-time teacher and he taught in like a seminary for Jewish girls um, at a place called Mishmas. We stopped teaching full-time, I think a year ago. And so we started a home business and I managed the home business. And so now during the day, I'm doing my regular things, like taking care of this one and making sure that food is ready when the kids come home. But then also I'm handling this customer and that customer and this planning and it's, and it's, it's just wonderful. You might've thought all these years out of the workforce. The truth is for me, it worked out organically that my husband left his job and my youngest turned eight and I had more time. What is your business? We have a home hospitality business, which means that tourists come to Israel and they want to meet an Orthodox family and they want to learn about Judaism or see their first Shabbat. And it's amazing. Our website is called Chef Rabbi Josh, because my husband is a chef and a rabbi. And so you can see there the food that we prepare and the articles about us. And but it's incredibly rewarding. And I love it. So it's a lot of work because we have to we have to prepare the food. So I have a lot of helpers. You the hosts or you also organize other people to host? So we're the hosts, but the truth is many times we're already booked. So we send out food to other families. Uh, also people who love hosting and it's phenomenal. It's just phenomenally rewarding. And, and I love it. I love that. I love helping to support my family financially. And it brings me tremendous in Hebrew, tremendous pride and joy. Like I'm sitting at my Shabbat table. Like this past week, we had over a family, incredible family from Dallas, and they were experiencing their first Orthodox Shabbat. And it was so beautiful. And then we had sent out food to two other families who also were experiencing their first Shabbat with other wonderful families, friends of ours. Also, we have Chinese people come. 
We just got an inquiry from a group of Nigerians. We have people from all over. And uh, so Josh was actually away. So I hosted on my own, an evangelical church from Colorado, people from all over. Yesterday we had over the staff of one of the biggest media empires in Europe. Their journalists came to have a dinner with us. It's amazing. And it's just, I, I love it. You know, I would just like to point out, you say that you are just a full-time stay-at-home mom, and yet you also have a media empire that you've created and you also have written books and now you also have a business so perhaps it isn't exactly what you're saying right. uh, <laughs> but but yeah. i think that's fantastic and you should give yourself credit great okay so i grew up in a very career-oriented family so family was important but also career was extremely important and extremely so like growing up that was really really the focus like high school college this is what you're going to do i grew up in a family my mom was a psychiatrist and my sister is a my sister's a prof she's a university professor and the only grandmother that i knew was a professor at hunter college and so i i grew i grew up in a home where there was a commitment to family but it was like really like family was something that you could that you could do alongside career. I found for myself it wasn't something that I wanted to do alongside a career. When I was in my first pregnancy, I assumed that I was going to go back right away to as I said, I was getting this master's at Hebrew University and I was doing this and that. And I remember during that pregnancy, asking a friend, how early, at what age can I send this baby to a babysitter? You know, how young, at two weeks, three weeks, how early can I send them away because I'm going to need my independence. And what happened was my daughter, when my daughter was born, Hadass, who's now 25, I just really didn't want to leave her. And I really didn't want to. So, I mean, I did, I did go back. I finished, I finished my master's, but it really, like, my heart was with Hadass. I just didn't want to be multitasking. I just wanted to be there with my daughter. Um, and things went on like that for just about, for many years, for I guess 25 years, because I'm still home. And I used to be a person who was very out and doing and accomplishing and doing this, little projects and volunteering and studying. And, and all of a sudden that became my focus. The problem was that because of like the way that I grew up, so I felt very badly about myself and I felt very, very down on myself. So here I am, I'm a graduate of Friends School, a very good private school, and I attended Bowdoin College, and, and then I'm getting a master's at Hebrew University and this and that, and what am I doing with my life? Like, it seemed to me that everyone I'd ever known could do motherhood and also working. And for me, that didn't feel right. It didn't feel like a good fit for me. And, and so I felt very, very badly about myself. Okay. And so I, so, so, so over the years, this is something that I really worked on. This is something that I wanted. I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom, but I also didn't want to feel badly about it. And so I worked very hard to like get myself psyched up about being a mom. That, that quote unquote, just being a mom, that that's enough. Do you and feel like you have achieved that goal? Yes, 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 I have. Okay. I have with flying colors. Yay. I've made it. 
Hey, okay. So really now I feel like I've done what I want to do. Like I have accomplished in life what I wanted. I have a family and I have a beautiful family and I've raised my kids and I have, I have zero feelings of, oh, what if I had done this or that or so that's um, amazing. This is something that I worked very, very hard to achieve. Um, and I studied with a few teachers who really, really helped me, really helped me to become empowered about being a woman and being a mom and specifically being a Jewish mom. And so I think that I think that it was very important for me to pass that on to any moms who are saying, well, what am I really doing and what am I really accomplishing? So whether a mom's working outside of the home or not, it doesn't matter just to give that, that for the mother, however many hours a day she's spending in her home and taking care of her kids and taking care of her family, that she will think, I am doing something so important. Amazing. Um, Amazing. Well, do you, how would you articulate that? Like if you could sum up, I know there's a lot to it, but if you could articulate what is it that makes you feel that being a mom is enough and the, that scope of life, at least in these years when your children are growing up, was a significant accomplishment that was enough for you, that didn't make you yeah. feel like you need something more. I guess you could say back of my head goals through this, this or whatever other effort is to get moms to appreciate that about themselves and then get the larger culture to appreciate that it isn't taking time off or wasting your time or wasting your degrees. You're just using it in a different way. It is valuable and relevant experience. Whether or not you end up doing work that is paid or not, I don't feel at all that the time I spent raising my kids was time off of whatever that means, off of what, you know? I feel that it was a valuable and meaningful use of my education, my time, my resources, and that my kids would not be the people they are without it. Now, I mean, they might have been even better, who knows? But I like to flatter myself that it is better that I was the one delivering all of the parenting as opposed to my nanny or what have you. I think that it's a goal of mine to have that be a topic of conversation in the broader culture. Even the term stay at home mom, I'd like to find a better term. You're not at home for one thing. You're not locked in your home. You're out and about in the universe teaching your kids about the world. Full-time mom is not really accurate either because every mom is a full-time mom. Maybe you could say you're a teacher with a very small classroom <laughs> or you're a, a psychologist with yeah. a very small caseload, you know? Yeah, yeah. One of the most inspiring and rewarding experiences for me that really has helped me over the years to get over the feeling that I had, you know, what am I doing with my life? And I have my sister, the professor, my mother, the psychiatrist, like, and what am I doing, you know, or all my neighbors who seem to balance home with full-time jobs or very demanding jobs. It's just like being with moms like this, like the mom I was talking about who stayed home for 25 years and really felt like that is really her job. People who somehow grew up more sheltered from the messages of the, what do you do society? Like, oh, what do you do? What, what do you do? And kind of like people who grew up not within that and people who really feel fully satisfied and fully proud of themselves and full esteem that they are moms and they're getting ready for Shabbat and they're staying home with the kid who's sick and going to buy new clothing and 
feeling fully like this is what I'm meant to do. And I know a lot of them, people who don't have the conflicted feelings, there's many of them. And I love those women. And I hope that I've become a person like that, that through my blog and through just being not conflicted about that, that I can kind of spread the light of that lack of conflict and, and feeling and feeling at peace with my decisions and feeling happy with my decisions. I think that I hope I hope that I'm able to broadcast that out into mamish, you know, <laughs> the world. <laughs> right. I, I, I guess I have the same exact goal. I'm trying to come up with the rational ideas that also go with that. One of the motivations to start this was that I feel like a day doesn't go by where it doesn't catch my eye, something in the news, something in the media about the falling birth rates worldwide, specifically, and especially in Western countries, the problems that that's creating for society. There's not enough people just in practical terms, money into social security, not enough people being born to do the jobs that it takes to serve all of the various needs in society, keeping the lights running, you know, and I just read an article yesterday about this, a new term for me, neo-medieval that we're entering a neo-medieval time. In other words, that that society doesn't have enough people to sustain the level of comfort and culture and technology that we currently have and that we're actually moving backwards. And, you know, those are sort of on a political, philosophical level. But the reality is that for most of human history, it was understood that the most important thing that really defines what it is to be a woman and what is the main contribution of women to society is creating that next generation, recreating, right, the world and the idea of creating the world all over again in each individual person makes motherhood sound so lofty and important. But instead, we've gotten so far away from that idea that motherhood itself is an important society, life, culture sustaining goal unto itself. And we've come to look at it almost like this indulgence or hobby on the side of whatever job you have that's paying you a paycheck and therefore important. You know, we've kind of internalized this message that women and men are exactly the same and need exactly the same things and have the exact same, if you will, tochnit, you know, purpose in life. And I think it's harmed a lot of women because you get that conflictedness that you're talking about. And it's also, it's harming people because so many people delay having children. They delay marriage and children because they think it's not that important. Like it's not as important as establishing myself in my career and my education and everything else. And I'm certainly not someone who doesn't value those things, but it really tears me up every time I meet a woman our age that put it off so long that they no longer really have it as an option. One particular person who was a college classmate of mine and she has an undergraduate from Harvard and a PhD from Stanford and probably a couple other degrees thrown in there. And she's had very senior positions at world famous companies. Most of my conversations with her for years were all about her wonderful career. And I was a little bit, you know, okay, well, I don't really have that, but at least I'm employed. That's fine. And 
then yeah. we took a walk one day and she started crying and telling me that she had gone through 14 rounds of IVF because she has the money for that. And, you know, desperately. Is she, is she, is she married or she's on her own? No, she never got married. And, you know, look, after a point, it gets harder. It gets harder both internally to want that and to want to make those compromises that marriage takes. And it gets harder to find somebody who's a good fit because you have become more and more and more individuated, if you will. Yeah, right. You know, you haven't been developing your your potential as a couple. You've been developing separate potential and it's harder to find a match. And so she tried she decided at some point, I guess in her late thirties, maybe to have a child on her own. And after an insane number of attempts, she finally decided that it wasn't happening and she was pouring her heart out to me. It was very sad. I wonder how common that is. Maybe around five years ago, I, I spoke with a Jewish astrologer. I don't know why that's funny, but okay. Yeah. And this woman, she was recommended to, she was recommended to us actually by a certain rabbi who said she's incredible. And so I spoke with her and she looked in the stars and said, and she didn't know anything about me. And and since then, she's done this with my husband, with two of, with my older daughters, with various friends, and everyone has had the same experience. And it's like, there's no way she could know all the things that she knows about us. Okay. And so, so, so she, she said to me, she said, she, she said, you, she said, if anybody was born to be a motivational speaker, it was you. Oh, she didn't know about your thing. She didn't know anything. Oh. No, no, she didn't know anything. And she said, you're a person, she said, your top priority is family. And any energy you have left over after taking care of your family, you want to go out and inspire people and, and encourage people. And she said also, one of my special gifts is that within taking care of a family, I really take care of myself. And my mission, she said, should be teaching other moms how to be a mom and also take care of yourself. Wow. Uh, when did she say yeah. this? How long ago did she say this? No, no, because she, she said this maybe five years ago, four or five years ago. Just a few and, years ago. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, she, it, but it was so bizarre. It was like, it was like, she, it was like the whole thing, you know, JewishMom.com, writing the two books that I've written. She, everything I've done for Jewish moms and also being also being a very being like a real full-time mom it was all like the day I was born like December 29th 1971 and I think like around 1 30 in the morning it, like that was already destined for me so I know this sounds very strange and if it wasn't like completely true and bizarre then I wouldn't bring it up but I feel like this is not only my mission my essential nature is this. I got to meet this lady. I got to meet your astrologer. I think you can Google kosher astrology. Her name is Shifra Bader and she is incredible. That is so cool. But it's hard for me to believe that she had no clue as to what you do when it's all over the internet and so easy to find. <laughs> so, so, but she also, you could say that she... 
possibly, but I'll just tell you, she knew also my husband's not all over the internet or my daughters or other people I've sent her to. And she knew all about, I believe her. She said she didn't, she hadn't looked into me at all. Wow. So she bases this all on astrological charts yeah. and insights. Yeah. Wow. Well, I will say, I mean, I, I love psychological testing and Myers-Briggs and there's a whole bunch of them, Enneagram. And I always like to sort of look at what the potential results are and guess what I am. And then I'll right. take their 200 questions. And then I do usually have the pleasure of seeing that I do know myself. Um, right. But all of these things, one of my qualities is I tend to be very open-minded in the sense of willing to consider almost anything as potentially being true. Who knows until it's proven otherwise. And there are a lot of practices that have had a remarkable duration throughout human history, astrology being among them, that are very out of favor now and are looked at as sort of quackery. But I tend to feel that there's something there if if you can see a practice that's been in place for 2,000, 4,000, who knows how many thousands of years that people have been trying to refine that, that insight that you can get about when exactly someone's born and what the, you know, their mazel is based on the stars. Right. That, you know, who am I to say there's nothing there? But it is, it is very interesting. So. Okay. It's very interesting, let's say, yeah. So you've talked a little about how you set your own priorities and that, you know, how affirming is that, that someone came and said, yeah, the priorities you set for yourself were exactly what you were destined for. I mean, who wouldn't love to hear that, right? You know, I certainly would. How do you set priorities within your family? Because one of the things that we talk about a lot on Momish is when you have a large family, there's lots of things you would like to be able to do, perhaps, but very often in larger families, there's either not enough time or not enough money or neither to be able to do all of those things that, you know, perhaps if you had one kid, you'd give them every kind of lessons and spend time reading with them for two hours every evening and what have you. I happen to think not that many people do that, even if they only have one kid. But when you have eight kids, right. for, sure, <laughs> for sure, it's a lot harder. And I'm wondering if you and perhaps you and your husband together have any rules of thumb or any stories about how you had to make a decision on how to set your priorities and what was a priority for your family. Right. So I studied with a teacher who was an experienced life coach named Rabbi Ari Niven. And he has something called, that he calls a personal development chabora. A chabora is kind of like a group, a learning group. And I've been studying with him for 13 years. And so, so his big thing is, is every year, right before the Jewish high holidays in the month of Elul, he calls it International Deep Thinking Month. And we, were, and we think about our, our main goals, our ultimate goals for the year. And one of those things is children. And it's like, like, what are my priorities with my kids? And so I, the whole year, based on what I'd written back then, I try, and this is something very important, I think, and I just want to say to any mom, and every mom has issues with kids or issues in the marriage or in the home or, or in her own internal world, is the power of taking is taking microscopic steps. 
doing something that, let's say like a child that you're not so connected with, taking a microscopic step, say, okay, once, once a day, I'm going to consciously say something nice to this child. I have a friend who she had a certain child, it was especially challenging. So every day she would try and think a nice thought about this child. Look at this child with what you call in Hebrew an ein tova, looking at that, looking at this child in a positive way, rather than seeing the negatives that she, as she naps, as which is her default mode. She'd been, she's been doing this now for a few months and she just says like the power of this, of this microscopic thing, you know, spending how long does it take, you know, 10 seconds a day to turn around. And I really, I've just seen over the years, I just had a different focus every year. This issue, that issue with various children. And it really, it's a miracle that we make, you know, in Judaism, we learn about, you know, making the Hesed Luth, like doing our small effort. We, we put on our effort and then we have faith that, you know, that God, that God will bless us with good results. And in my, in my parenting life, I have seen this in spades. Wow. Um, just taking... Tell me a story. Yeah. <laughs> Can you give an example of a time that that was meaningful in your own life? Yeah. So I have a child who didn't like me. And this is an older child. I was a child who just like, I would like walk into the room and this child would like bristle. And I didn't, and would talk with everyone in the family but me. And just, I mean, this child, this child, if this child needed money or something, anything practical, then this child would say, you know, Ima, can I have that? It wasn't like she, it wasn't like she never, ever talked to me, but so I decided over Hanukkah, this past Hanukkah, that I was going to focus every day. I was going to, I was going to just in my mind, talk to her and tell her how much I love her. And, and. So not directly and, talking to her, just in your head, yeah. what would be the conversation you'd like to have? Yeah. Telling her, I love you. And I want you to trust me and I want you to forgive me for various things that you feel angry at me about. And I did this over Hanukkah. And by the end of Hanukkah, like over Hanukkah, she had a certain crisis, which everything turned out fine in the end. But she came to me about her crisis and I really helped her through it. And since then, we are really, we really are getting along great. Wow. And, but it, it's a, so it's it, on it's a spiritual level. It wasn't on a practical level. It was something about your own internal energy that changed. Right. And I don't even think, I think that the line between spiritual and actual, I think is blurry here because I think that when we work on ourselves and like my friend who every day thought of something positive about her son, and it's really improved her connection with her son. And now the son comes to her and confides in her more. And he's working harder at school, which was a hot topic, which was really a source of tension between them. And so I think that by doing this, my own internal work, maybe at a spiritual level, and it's, it's true, it's true. But I think that also on a practical level, I think probably changed something in my energy, which then changed something, which changed something in her energy, that the actual energy that we put out. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's, that's fantastic. I think, I mean... I'm just trying to process what you said. And I think that I definitely agree that the, first of all, for sure, tiny steps can make a huge difference. 
you know, like we talk all the time about the straw that breaks the camel's back being that last thing that ruins everything, but we don't really talk as much about the small things that can make the positive change. And I think it kind of can go both ways that one little small thing can, let's say, take one straw off the camel's back and they can still bear their load. So it's important to think about in both directions. Even if that's just the tone, maybe it's expressed in the tone of my voice, this little spiritual emotional work that I've done, maybe it's expressed actually physically, actually in the tone of my voice, in the way that I smile, in the way that I speak with her. Right. I think probably it's expressed in actual real ways. I don't know whether I believe it's actually a spiritual thing, a spiritual change in me changes reality, or whether it's actually expressed in some kind of real, physical, visible way. I'm not sure. I haven't. Okay. Wow. Interesting. Well, I definitely have stories like that for myself. I like to think of just trying to behave as I would if their reaction were going to be what I was hoping for. And even though sometimes it's not for a while, I do think that that makes a difference. If I speak to someone in the way that I wanted to be treated, it might take a while, but it does usually make a difference. Tell me how your kids relate to each other, because you have kind of a large age span, right? Like 13 years from oldest to youngest. So how do they relate to each other? So I think that like when my kids were growing up, I had little kids. There was a certain amount of tension between the kids. This one didn't like this one, and this one fought with this one. But I see now that this age range has made it much easier. And I want to say this just as a word of hope to younger moms whose kids are young and this one hates this one and this one fights with this one. And I see what happens is that the older siblings have on their ways, they've kind of found their own identity and still there's things about one another that they get under each other's skin, um, but they go together, they rely on each other, they get advice from one another. They, let's say on Independence Day, they went out together to, you know, to the festivities there's a certain deep love and camaraderie of that. And I think also, it might be also especially because in, in Israel, or maybe in the Jewish community as a whole, there's a lot of emphasis on that, on like the closeness of siblings. I know someone here, she grew up in a, she grew up in a family of, I think, 11 kids. She speaks with her sisters. I think maybe she has seven sisters. She speaks with all of them. She speaks with most of them every day. And she speaks with all of them at least once a week. And they're spread out across the world. She speaks with her mom, I think, every day. And and, that, and that's very different than how I grew up. So and the relationship between the older kids and the younger kids is adorable. Right. The older right. kids now, they are in love with the little kids. And and they're so cute. And they're so this. And, and they're old enough that it doesn't really, it doesn't really irritate them anymore. As it might right. have, you know, five or ten years ago. Now it's just, you know, they can kind of like chuckle at it, chuckle at the cuteness of the eight-year-old, the 10-year-old, you know? Right, right. Yeah, I had just yesterday, actually, my first and my fourth are probably just sort of their innate personalities are the least least alike 
within the family. You know, my my oldest is very she's she's very decisive, very judgmental, very this is good, this is bad, this person stinks, this person's wonderful, whatever. And she can be a little bit harsh once in a while. She also sees the good in people, but she doesn't mince words. She doesn't really make much effort to give people lots and lots of benefit of the doubt if she sees something that she doesn't like or disagrees with. Whereas my fourth has always been the opposite. So generous, overly generous and very sweet natured and always wants to help. And it's what else can I do? And all of that attitude. And in truth, like they're both, it's good for them. There's sort of a little yin yang, but when they were younger, they each bothered the other one because of these traits. And I think now they've come to see they learn from each other because you do need both sides, right? You do need, sometimes you, sometimes you have a friend who does betray you and you have to cut it off. And you know, that is a reality in life. And sometimes you do need to cut people a little bit more slack because they're going through something that you might not be recognizing. And it's too soon to judge them for doing something wrong. They made a mistake, you know? And I think now that you're starting to see it. So there was a time I remember when we went on vacation with the two of those and were sort of just annoyed with each other the whole time. And then now this week I took them, they wanted to get something at the supermarket and I dropped them off and it was 20 minutes for this one thing that they wanted to get. And I'm looking at my watch. And so I texted them. I said, what happened guys? And they got back to the car. They're like, oh, we're just best friends. And we were joking around in the aisle and we were making each other laugh. And I was like, that's nice. Can you do that when I'm not waiting in the car? But it was nice to see (laughs) that they feel close now. So that was sweet. It can, it does develop over time. Really nice. How do you, or maybe you and your husband together make decisions when you have so many children and obviously so many potential ways that you could, could go, how do, what kind of things guide you? This is what I said about my, that my superpower is, is determination and consistency. So I have on my Google calendar every single day, I have reminders of all my goals that I set that I put out that I put in there and I set up in September so it, it reminds me but I think like in terms of my husband and I together um we had a big talk today about about the kids and this child needs this and this child needs this so we talk all the time about what the kids need today was at maybe 45 minutes talking about the kids okay so frequent communication got it what's yeah. on your I mean what can you share anything that was on your September list from last year and how you're putting that into practice? Yeah. Um, so, so for example, with, I have one child that I wanted to strengthen my connection with her. And so this is the child who doesn't live at home and that I'm supposed to call that I'm supposed to call today. And an- another child, I have another child who is my oldest daughter, who's in my community of marriageable age. And so my goal is to accompany her on her journey rather so basically this is something that I meditate on a lot on not getting enmeshed in her process and and not getting overly worried or upset about her process and she goes out with this one she breaks up with this one it didn't work out with this one is she going to find someone letting her have her journey and this is this is this is again an internal this is internal work if she wants my specific advice, then I'll tell her. But like, it's easy for me to be like, "Don't do that. Go on with that one. Why do you want?" Just 
know, I have faith very in nice. you. Very nice. So these, 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 are, these are goals that I worked on that I, that I came up with in August. What might be something for one of your younger children, your elementary school children? Yeah. So I have a son with ADHD who is impulsive. And so my goal for him this year is just to take a microscopic step towards. Okay. So, so I, cause, cause otherwise I get like disempowered and I think, and I think I'm not doing enough and, oh, if I'm just doing so little, I just shouldn't do anything at all. What I'm doing is like nothing. But so that I am taking microscopic steps towards helping him with his impulsivity, whether, whether that means meeting with the doctor, consulting with this one, consulting with that one, and giving him also prizes like I, like he has an English lesson with his grandmother on Skype. And he's the kind of kid, I can't have my lesson. So, so I give him like, I, so I give him an encouragement. When he has the lesson with my mother-in-law, who's an English teacher, He'll be checking this site, that site while he's talking with her and being like, uh-huh, uh-huh, and just completely ignoring her. So I said, if I see you 15 minutes, I'm putting on the timer, 15 minutes, you are focused and you are with her and you're not checking other sites, then I'm going to give you money to get a piece of pizza. So just, just, just like helping him with microscopic steps like that to become a more, like a more disciplined person. Okay, Nice. Wow. I mean, I'm really blown away by how consciously you are putting forth that effort to really consciously think about each kid and what they need and writing it down and putting it in your calendar. I feel like that's very unusual. Do you know other people to do that or did you get that idea from somewhere? Um, so I'll tell you the truth. There's probably a few hundred of us women who study with Rabbi Ari Niven. It's just basically he teaches you this, how to really, really figure out your goals, your ultimate goals, and to really, really, really stick with them. And over the whole year, so, so for example, we're now in a certain time of year. We thought that the 63 days of expansion is just kind of a mystical name for the summer. And so I have special goals for the summer. And every day, every day I read over my goals and I spend a minute doing this and a minute doing that. I wow. think so well, I hope the listeners to Momish are learning this because I'm going to try it. I, I will say that consistency is actually not my strength. Absolutely not. And, <laughs> you know, one of the things that's been fun about this podcast is that I read somewhere that you should do it consistently. So I'm trying to post new episodes every Thursday morning. I try to post one. And it has been a little bit of a struggle, but at least I have like that. And I find that Shabbat is good because I'm consistent about that for sure. Comes up the same time every week and that is part right, of it. Yeah. But, you know, it is yeah. something that I think does not come naturally to me. And I think a lot of people, it's easy, especially in our very distractible society that we have now and with all of the distractions that we constantly have and notifications on our phone and all of that, yeah. it's very easy to have your attention taken away from whatever it is that is your priority. So for you to have these little steps that even though, as you're saying, it takes a minute or two, I think that's incredible walk away wisdom from Mamish because, you know, I think it doesn't take that much. This idea of small steps, microscopic or tiny or baby steps, whatever you want to call it, 
it it can make a world of difference. I think that's really smart. All righty. Well, it has been a huge pleasure to meet you, to talk to you, to hear about your family and all that you've been doing with your time for so many years. I love hearing about another big, happy Jewish family, the oi and the joy. There is mamish, nothing like it. Thank you so much. Mamish, mamish, mamish. <laughs> It's such a pleasure meeting you. Thank you so much. Well, listeners, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Mamish. I hope you like and subscribe and share and read it. Please send us comments at lunchbox at mamish.com, spelled M-O-M-M-A-S-H. I look forward to hearing to each and every one of you, and I try to respond to every single comment. Also, if you know a very special mom of a large family who you think would be a great guest, I'd love to hear from them. It's always a huge pleasure to bring these incredible women to you week after week and some dads. We will be having some more dads, given how popular my husband was. Of course, he's always more popular than me, but what can I say? If you're interested in hearing how Hannah Jenny came to change the course of her life because of the influence of this person that she'd never met. Stay tuned after the music because it was really cool. Alrighty, take care. Have a fantastic week. Enjoy your family. There's mamish nothing like it. random question are you yeah. really are you related to someone whose maiden name was ali fine that's my sister the dentist wait turn, turn off the recording okay no 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 no. actually maybe this is amazing okay i want to tell you something is she a dentist yeah okay listen i have been looking for ali fine for for the last 30 years no listen when i was in college i'm getting chills, I looking... I'm getting chills. <laughs> okay listen this is bizarre okay when I was at Bowdoin College, so I told you that Bowdoin, it didn't have a really, a really bustling Jewish life. And my best friend from high school was from my Quaker school where I grew up. Her name was Jenny Damelin, and she was at Barnard. Uh-huh. And, and her roommate was Allie Fine. And she wasn't Jewish, she was Quaker. But she would tell me, every time I would speak with her, she would say, oh, you know, I hang out with Allie all the time. And Allie, you know, on Shabbat, she's she's there, and she keeps Shabbat, and she has the meal, and she keeps kosher, and she said she's becoming a dentist. I don't know if she actually did this, but that she was going to make Aliyah, but she did. And she had heard... Okay. I'm sorry, sorry. So I, you know, edit edit this stuff out because I don't want to embarrass her. Because I know you don't know Allie. You've never met her. You just have this idea about her. I never met her, but but she was my first encounter through her roommate with Orthodox society, and she said, "Yeah, and these people, you know, and they're here with all of her friends, and she dressed modestly." And and she and she's becoming a dentist because she wants to make Aliyah and she heard that being a dentist in Israel is the best way to support a family. But she was like my first, like in the middle That's of nowhere. Crazy. In the middle of nowhere. Like I was at Bowdoin College in Maine. And this person, just by being who she was and by keeping Shabbat and by, you know, and and 
keeping kosher and living a Jewish life. And, you know, and, so funny because like Allie would have been a freshman. feels like. <laughs> right. So, so, so I've been looking for Allie Fine for 30 years. And I don't know. And this when I saw your name Fine. And then I remembered more than 30 years, like 30. This is more than 30 years because this is like 33 years. Yeah. This is this is a conversation that happened. This is something that happened in 1989, like when I was at a freshman at Bowdoin. Oh my god! Yeah, 